Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I want to start off today's episode with a couple shout outs. I want to shout out the listeners in South Africa, Croatia, Kenya, and Trinidad and Tobago. I don't often look at the charts or the numbers for the podcast. I check in every once in a while to see if we're steadily growing, but I don't live and buy by numbers or even reviews. If you believe the reviews when they tell you they're great, you also have to believe them when they tell you you're not shit. But I do check in on the numbers every once in a while. I do check in on the charts. And Ratchet and Respectable is charting in the top 200 or even like the top 100 in each of the countries that I listed. So shout out to them. Thank you for listening. Don't even know how you found me, but I'm glad that you did. I also want to give a shout out to one of my friends, Clover Hope. Clover is many things, but when I met her in my magazine writing days, she was covering music journalism, and I think I was still doing music. I might have been transitioning into the dating and relationship space at that time. But Clover was an amazing writer. She was writing for everyone, and she hit me up and was like, hey, can I pick your brain about writing and branding and all of those things? And I was like, really? You good? Like, what you want to ask me for? We met up for cocktails at one of my favorite New York restaurants, which unfortunately is no longer with us, Bar 89. So we had a couple cocktails and we talked about writing and branding and life. Clover is smart and witty and amazing. And since that time, and I take no credit for this because Clover does the work and I'm shouting her out because I think she's amazing. She's gone on to write cover stories for Vogue. And she also co-wrote Black is King with Beyonce. So that's the type of ish that Clover Hope be on. I'm like, you know what? I need to call Clover Hope and ask for writing and branding advice. But I mentioned her today because she has a new book coming out called The Mother Load, 100 Women Who Made Hip Hop. It's described as, quote, 100 women who have shaped the power, scope, and reach of rap music, including pioneers like Roxanne Shante, game changers like Lauryn Hill and Missy Elliott, and current reigning queens like Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, and Lizzo. And that's coming out February 9th. It is available for pre-order now. And I can tell you that Clover Hope can write her whole ass off. But if you want to get a taste of what her book will be like, she has an excerpt running on pitchfork.com right now. It's an essay from her new book, and it's called The Meaning of Little Kim. Now, I gave it a read earlier. I loved it. But you give it a read, and you let me know what you think. But congratulations again to Clover Hope. I'm super, super proud of you. I've been meaning to put together a book list. Every time I post a movie and TV list, which just so you know, those take me forever to put together. There's a reason that I only do them every couple months. But as soon as I post it, like one of the first comments inevitably is always, do you have a book list? I do not have a lot of time to read right now. At some point, I will put together a book reading list. There's tons of great books coming out. Um, a lot of my friends and Friends in my head, authors that I, that I love and deeply admire, have great works coming out or, or recently came out. So I'll put together a book list. Stand by for that. I don't know if you had a chance to see the trailer for Don't Waste Your Pretty yet. It's been running pretty heavily on TV One, and I know a couple other networks are promoting it as well. They're doing a really heavy promo push for it, which I'm really excited about. 
But I also posted the trailer on my social media over the weekend. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, you can check it out on my social media. And that's at Demetria L. Lucas on all platforms. I'm a little antsy today. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but there's rumor from credible news outlets that the LA mayor is going to lift our stay-at-home order. LA has been on lockdown for two months this time. All restaurants closed, no indoor dining, no hair and nail salons, no, no nothing. And I can live without getting my hair done. I actually just got it braided. I, I miss a good manicure. Last time we were open, I searched far and wide for an open air nail shop. I found this place in DTLA on the other side. I'm on the Staples Center side, but way, way on the other side, which is also super cute. I found this nail salon that used to be um, what looks like a mechanic's garage. So it has that rolling door that lifts up. So I was going there to get my nails done. And actually that time I had to get them done for a photo shoot. They wanted to limit the number of people on set. So the nail tech got cut and they were like, well, can you go get your nails done in advance? Thanks. That was the only time I've had my nails done since the start of the pandemic. I can live without a manicure right now, but a pedicure, like my feet look unfortunate. I've been using the Mr. Purple foot scrub thingy, which is really effective to make sure the bottom of my feet don't look terrible. And I've been doing my best with my own personal grooming, but I'm one of those, like I got my nails done every two weeks, three at the latest. You know, it's been quite the adjustment and I do the best that I can to do them myself. And it looks very much like an amateur job. But allegedly, the governor is going to announce lifting the stay-at-home order for Southern California later today. Which, for freedom purposes, like, I want. But also remember last week, the news cycle was talking about how the hospitals were super full. And L.A. County also has um, a mandate about how many people can be cremated per week, per month, something like that. But there's, there's a number. And so many people were dying that... That officials were like, you know what, let's temporarily just cremate as many as you need to. So that was last week. And then allegedly, suddenly this week, they're saying that the stay at home order can be lifted. So I don't know if it's a good idea, but there's still part of me that that wants them to lift it because it's been kind of brutal being on lockdown for so long. I was reading on Facebook the other day, there was a woman posting about watching some home makeover design show. And the husband on the show was talking about doing massive renovations to the kitchen. And he was saying, like, I want this big window. And he was like, he was like, I want this big window in the kitchen so that we can like get this view. And I want, you know, subway tiles in the bathroom because, you know, that's hot. And the woman was like, yeah, she was like, people think they want these things. And she was like, do they realize that like this is all because of previous pandemics? And I was like, wait, what? She was like, yeah, like bathroom walls used to be made out of wood. Everything was made out of wood, like bathtubs, everything. And she was like, the last pandemic, they realized that wood holds germs and disease. It's not as easy to clean. They, and they switched over to tiled walls because it's easier to clean. Same thing with, with stainless steel faucets. And she was like, yeah, like it was something else before. And she was like, they switched that over because of the pandemic. Yeah. The kitchen with like the big window. It's so like when you wipe down your kitchen... The sun comes in through the window and it dries the surfaces faster. Oh, half baths. That's the other thing. The idea of a half bath in a home, even a large apartment, is something that started with the last pandemic. Mostly so that if you had a guest at your house, they would be using a separate bathroom than you so you wouldn't pick up your guest's germs. 
which I was like, brilliant, fascinating. But I had no idea that very standard um, decor, maybe. I guess decor is for subway tiles. Well, let's go with decor because I can't think of the right word. But what we consider very standard decor in homes is a direct result of the last pandemic. And I was really wondering what's going to change post, post this pandemic. I think the idea of people going back to actually work in an office, I don't think a lot of people are going back to work in the office. They should, because I read some study that people are working, people used to work eight hours a day, are now averaging 9.5 or 10 to meet the same level of productivity, especially if you have kids, you've got other stuff going on, or you've got different distractions. So I get it. But I think if employers can keep their employees productive and they can avoid having to pay for office space, I think they will to keep costs down, if nothing else. But I'm really curious about what other social changes or even housing changes that will come up as a result of this current pandemic. But if you've got any guesses, I would love to hear your thoughts. I know things are going to change. I just don't know how. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What else is going on? Right before I started recording, I was watching a White House press conference. The new, um, the new press secretary reminds me of CJ from The West Wing, which is hands down one of my favorite shows of all time. You've heard me talk about how I used to watch Creed and Black Panther before I went to bed or I fall asleep watching them. I did that with West Wing for like a good year and change. One of my favorite shows. And I didn't even watch it when it came out. I don't, I guess I was just, I don't know. I just wasn't interested, but I'd love that show so much that when I finished watching it, it took me five weeks to watch all eight seasons of the show. 
And in the final episode, I stood up at my couch and clapped because that was such excellent TV. But I say that to say, I was watching the White House press conference. It was so boring. Like, the press secretary isn't abrasive. She speaks in a normal tone. She actually answers questions. She's professional and intelligent and not condescending and like, <laughs> and clearly doesn't hate the press. It's refreshing. The New York Times is in a bit of hot water this week, which I think is directly because the new administration is just boring. Boring is a very good thing. After the four years of madness and crazy that we've been through, boring is the highest compliment. It means no one's flipping out. No one's, no one's acting illogically. The New York Times published a story about the watch that President Biden wore to inauguration. It's inauguration, kind of a big deal in a person's life, I would say. But he wore a $7,000 Rolex. And the New York Times did a whole piece on it. And this is the second time I've seen a story about the things that Biden owns. The New York Times also did a story on Biden's Peloton bike. It was such a snarky piece. The headline was, Biden has a Peloton bike that raises issues at the White House. The subhead was, it doesn't exactly comport with his, quote, regular Joe from Scranton persona. End quote. Seriously? And a lot of people are really upset about these articles, and I think rightly so. I have a slightly different perspective than some on this. There's no scandals to write about. It's only less than a week into the new administration. But that didn't stop Orangey. Because remember, Orangey had his inauguration, and then the next day he was lying about the numbers, and he was like, oh, I have more people than President Obama and then the pictures determined that was a lie. But I was like, you have nothing else to talk about. Like, President Biden hit the ground running. He's signing executive orders like a celebrity signing autographs. Like, he is, he is on it. And again, it hasn't been a week, so they should be. But they've had no massive fuck-ups. I really think after dealing with Trump and those never-ending shenanigans... He would do something crazy at least once a week. And then literally every day with those Twitter missives, there was a whole reporter's beat dedicated to the crazy shit that Trump would do or the crazy shit that Trump would tweet. It was guaranteed. And so I think now that he's been banned from Twitter and he's out of office and the Biden administration isn't doing anything crazy, I think they don't even know what to talk about. So they're going to stuff like Joe Biden has a Peloton. Who gives a fuck? Joe Biden has a $7,000 Rolex. Okay, and the man is still working at 78. If he want to buy himself a goddamn Rolex, sir, everyone who's listening to this podcast is either working or wants to be working and wants to be able to afford a $7,000 Rolex, even if they wouldn't buy one. Just to have the disposable income, like, yeah, I could blow that on a Rolex. Is that not why we all get up and go to work every day? Everybody doesn't want a $7,000 Rolex, and that's fine. But everyone listening wants $7,000 that they could blow on anything they want if they so choose. I don't care if that man got a Rolex. Stop it. I was like, y'all only got nothing else to talk about in the news. You're going to talk about this man's watch. At his inauguration, I could see if he was going on like a tour of Skid Row. It would be very gaudy to walk amongst people who have no home and flash your wealth. But my God, it's the man's inauguration. If you can't stunt your shit on one of the biggest days of your life, when can you stunt your shit? Yeah. 
Mm. I was reading about Trump's final act of petty because he just, it never ends for him. But I was reading on the independent news, the headline, Biden's left stuck outside White House on inauguration day after petty final Trump act. So apparently post-inauguration, Biden and his family get in their cars and they head toward the White House. Some point during that journey, they stop in the middle of the street. As his tradition, they get out the car and they do a final walk up to the White House. They walk up the steps, they turn, they wave to the cameras, i.e. the American people, and then they turn back around, they walk up the steps, and they're supposed to go into the White House. Except the doors don't open. Because your petty-ass former president fired the chief usher at the White House and sent all the butlers home so no one would be there to open the doors for the new president and his wife. Just ghetto. Ghetto and petty. I'm so glad he's gone. So, so glad. Mm. And good news, Kamala Harris. Remember that Vogue cover that we talked about? There was the pink and green one where she had on a black suit and chucks. A lot of people didn't like that color. They loved the symbolism of the pink and green, but they really didn't like her pose or her outfit. Big outcry about it. We talked about it in depth on a previous episode. Vogue has had a come to Jesus moment. They're going to issue the digital cover as an actual magazine cover. If you remember, the digital cover was the more favored cover. A lot of my photography friends didn't like either one. They had extreme critiques, um, but they, you know, they're looking at things with a photography eye. I'm just looking at it as, do I like it? Do I not like it? I'm not seeing the technical aspects that they pick up on. But the digital cover was the one where she was wearing the powder blue suit with the gold and yellow background. That cover was supposed to be digital only, but now it's going to be made into a print cover. Which is good, because I went to the newsstand the other day. I was trying to get that new issue of Essence so I could see the ad that everyone's been screenshotting and sending to me. I wanted a copy of it for myself. Unfortunately, they did not have the new issue of Essence. But I did see that awful Vogue cover um, that looked fuzzy, that I didn't like. I did see it, and I thought about buying it, but I was like, I don't really want it. I want to support my vice president, but it's not like she gets a check off me buying that magazine. I do think I will purchase the powder blue and gold one though. I want it as a keepsake. I have all of Michelle Obama's Vogue covers. I have all of Beyonce's as well. I have Lupita's. I'm a diehard magazine junkie starting when I was maybe nine, 10, something like that. So I have tons and tons and tons of issues, including every magazine that I ever wrote for or was featured in for about 10, 15 years. They're all at my parents' house, though. I didn't bring any of them with me to L.A. What else is going on? Oh, the Salt and Pepper film on Lifetime. It was... So Lifetime is so tricky. How do I say this? Inconsistent in their quality. So I never really know what to expect from them. Like, at one point, you knew what to expect from a Lifetime film, right? Like, it was going to be a little cheesy. Somewhere between bad and all right. And then they did that Clark Sisters film, which I was like, oh, Lifetime is changing the game. I thought the Clark Sisters was amazingly well done. So remember how BET 
Every time BET would do something, BET would get dragged. Everything except the award shows. BET does the new edition story and it's phenomenal. And then they follow that up with the Bobby Brown story and it's phenomenal. So now when you think of BET films, you're expecting a new edition type situation or or a Bobby Brown type situation. So like your expectations have been raised. So with the Clark sisters, I thought Lifetime was going in a new direction. They've been putting out a lot of black content. I know it makes great money for them because black people love to watch other black people on TV. And then we also get on social media and and talk about it incessantly, which makes other people tune in. When I heard there was a salt and pepper biopic, I was expecting it to be on the same quality that the Clark sisters was. And I saw the trailer. I didn't care for the hair in the trailer, and the hair is always a big marker on black films. You can tell a bit about the financial investment that they made in the film based on the hair. I will tell you this about Don't Waste Your Pretty. I'm an executive producer on the film. People often think that executive producer means you have a say-so about everything. It does not. You get a say-so about some things. You still have to pick your battles, and you don't get final yay and nay power about anything on a film unless you personally are putting up the money for it. That said, I had three big asks for Don't Waste Your Pretty. I was like, you got to get the hair right. We had Derek J come in. Derek J did everybody's hair, including mine. So the hair looks right throughout the film. So the core cast is four women. I asked that at least two of them have natural hair. I asked that at least two of them be visibly brown women. Please do not give me a cast of a bunch of light-skinned people. I've lost weight, but I'm still a thick girl. I need somebody in this cast to be about my size. Don't give me a whole cast full of skinny women. There are absolutely skinny black women. Most of us are not. Just statistically, we're not. And most of us really ain't trying to be. The cast should look like the intended audience. I thought that was important. I also asked that the men be... I used a different word, but essentially what I meant was fuckable. Nobody wants to watch a romantic comedy with unattractive men. If you can't envision yourself dating or having sex with one of the men, what's the point? And for some people, that can sound very, very shallow. But TV is a visual medium, and your visuals are very important. So I say all that to say, I see the Salt and Pepper trailer, and I don't like the hair. And I'm like, Salt and Pepper were so iconic. I, I dressed up as them for Halloween one year. It was the, the ripped jeans, the white t-shirts with S&P, shake your thing. I think it was the shake your thing. Like they were, they were fashion icons. They were hair icons. So many black women and teenagers in the 80s and 90s had those asymmetric cuts because of salt and pepper. They were fashion icons. They were hair icons. Black women wanted to look like them. And then for the film not to get the hair right, not to get the clothes right, didn't get the... I want to phrase this very carefully. Visually, didn't get the actresses right. Salt is a lighter complexion woman, and Pep was a brown woman. And her visibility as a brown woman who was a fashion and hair icon is really important because that space is very often taken up by a bunch of light-skinned chicks and biracial chicks. So Pep's brownness was very important to the audience for why she was adored. The actress that plays Pep in the film looks absolutely nothing like her. However, she captured Pep's essence really, really well, and I think she was a strong actress. So in a sense, I get why she was chosen for the role, 
But I also think there had to be a browner girl who could have captured that essence too. Oddly enough, I did like the film. I think it was very smart to focus on the enduring friendship of Saul and Pep. I think everybody has a ride or die friend like that. And if they don't, they want one. So I appreciated that part. I saw some people absolutely loathed it, which is fair. I can see that perspective as well. But I actually really enjoyed it. I I enjoyed watching their journey. But something that did stand out to me, and I wrote my thoughts about this in my review of the film and social media, and this is something that comes up in nearly every biopic about a woman, except Lady Sings the Blues. That's the only biopic I can think of about a woman that this doesn't come up. But it's like all these immensely talented, driven women And if you're having a biopic made about you, you've had success or you are still successful. But so often the story is, I was successful despite all the bullshit that I went through with men. Like Salt and Pepper's story is riddled with being disrespected by men, playing small for men, trying to get up the courage to stand up to men, cheated on by men abandoned by men, abused by men. And the crazy thing is, is it's the story of so many women. Like very rarely do you find a woman, including those who married very young or married their high school sweethearts, but doesn't have a story about being treated really poorly at some point by men. If not in her interpersonal and romantic relationships, then in her professional relationships. In, in relationships with her peers when she's going to school. I thought about, and I've thought about this before, but it just was very glaring in this film that the biggest obstacles in Salt and Pepper's life were always men. It was really sad, I guess, because I think of them as, you know, as successful as they were. You know, you have a five times platinum album, as successful as they were. How much more successful could they have been? How much more creative could they have been? How much more happy could they have been? How much bigger could they have been if they had men in their lives who supported them and pushed them to be their best as opposed to men who were seemingly always standing in the way? I do make an exception, a notable one for Salt's, who wasn't her husband at the time, but she was pregnant with her first child by him. And there's a scene where they do the Arsenio Hall show and Arsenio assumes that Salt was with her longtime boyfriend who created Salt and Pepper. Um, he assumes that that is the father of the child and Salt doesn't correct him. That, you know, no, I'm with someone new and it's his child. Would-be one-day husband, Gavin, catches up with her, not in the green room, but backstage. And he goes the fuck off. And I was like, yeah, like your girlfriend who's carrying your baby allows people to think that it's someone else's child. That's, that's a pretty fly off the handle offense. Like, yeah, I'm with you on that one, bro. Like, no judgment, no judgment there. But I actually enjoyed the film. Bit of kerfluffle around the film. I logged off when the film aired on the East Coast, it's, which is standard for me. The West Coast is essentially on a delay. So when there's a big show out and everyone's watching, everyone's tweeting and they're posting stuff on Instagram and they're doing posts on Facebook. So unless I'm okay with spoilers, I just tune out. So I did that for Salt and Pepper and then I logged back in and I was doing like a quick scroll to see 
what the responses were. And I didn't see as much feedback as I expected. I would really love to see what, um, what the ratings are for that show. When I did write my review, a lot of the responses were, I'm not watching because of how they did Spinderella. Now, if you didn't watch the film, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away, if you watch the film, Spinderella was in it for maybe four or five scenes. The film ran for like a good three hours. I mean, with commercials, of course, but it was a three-hour film. She might have had... I'm going to be generous and say six lines. There's a scene where she's introduced for the first time. There's a scene where she wants to go out and salt and pepper tell her she has to practice for an hour or an hour and a half every night. And there are a couple interviews where, and I really think because they were recreating the interviews and Spin was sitting there that they included her lines. But otherwise, that's it. She has absolutely no storyline in the film, which is, which is crazy to me because I was a pretty big salt and pepper fan. Like I was young, but I had all the albums and I watched all the videos and Spin was there. And I was like, this is, this is weird because when I think of salt and pepper, I think of the three of them. Like it was the three of them on all the album covers. It was the three of them and all the interviews. But Spinderella was none too happy about the film. And a couple days before it was released, she wrote I don't know if it was an open letter, but she posted some thoughts on social media and she said, quote, and I'm reading from Twitter, sorry, but I got to speak on this Lifetime special. Too often black women who have made meaningful contributions in their industry are left out of the historical record. She adds, quote, back when salt and pepper was building our legacy, which is rooted in empowering women, I could not have dreamed that this same group would one day disempower me. She also said that she does, quote, not support the movie. And finally, there's nothing more acceptable than a woman being silenced by another woman. She also did say that she's been working on her own memoir about her personal journey navigating through life, relationships, and the industry that raised me. Quote, 30 years is a lot of content and I'm ready to share. Which I would love to read because as far as I'm concerned, like she's a pioneer in hip hop. She was the first female DJ I ever saw. I'm sure there were others, but she was, she's the one I remember. And she was a part of Salt and Pepper, which was a huge group and toured the world and, and toured with everyone. So I'm sure she has stories on stories on stories. And on Instagram, I was like, Hey sis, like, you know, Salt and Pepper got their film and and they told their story. I would love to hear your story. So I was like, you've got this memoir that you're working on. And I was like, and please hit me up. If you'd like to do a movie, I'd love to work on a script with you. Hell, if you ain't finished with your memoir, you need an editor. Let me know because I do that too. I'm very, very serious about that. Like I, um, I felt really bad for her because I, and I think absolutely everyone else knows what it feels like to contribute to something and then race from the narrative like you didn't happen. It's very hurtful. It's very, very hurtful. But I say all that to say is that I did a review of the film and I would say half my responses, and there were like 500 or so of them on Facebook, a lot of people were like, I didn't watch because I think how they're doing her is dead wrong. Like, how are you going to be about empowering women and then completely erase your DJ who was with you for 90% of your career? Like she might not have been the one that you started with, but she's the one that you did at least 20, 25 years with minimum. 
And you just go erase her? A lot of people didn't like that. It left a really bad taste in their mouths. You know, a lot of people were like, thanks for the review. I noticed that you said, you know, a couple things that you liked, but you never did call it a good movie. So I don't think I missed anything. Which, hmm. I totally understand why people didn't watch it. Um, if I didn't talk about pop culture and television for a living, I probably wouldn't have either. Because I feel really bad for Spinderella. I really, really do. While I want to support Salt and Pepper because, like, I'm I'm a fan of their work since I was a kid. I think that let me try to say this diplomatically: the quality of the film and how they were represented, I did not feel was befitting of their legacy. I think about people like Biggie's film or Tupac's film, which were also like in theaters, like feature films. So, so the budgets were, were much bigger. But there was an attention to detail and it was of better quality. And I think that you shouldn't have to be a man or a dead black man to have your story told well and have your image not just respected, but even enhanced. Because I think, and I don't think it would have been this bad if they'd included Spinderella, but I think Salt and Pepper took a huge PR blow from this film. I, th- I think people thought better of them before the film than after. Um, so I'm going to save the last topic that I want to talk about for next week. There is a, a French woman, and I don't have her name in front of me. I'd probably butcher it anyway. But a 25-year-old French woman, she's a blogger. She wrote an essay, a series of essays. In the press, they keep calling it an essay, but it's 96 pages. But it's a series of essays, and the title of her essays is I Hate Men. And she is married to a man, and the premise of her essay is, I know a few nice men, but overall, men are scary and threatening, prone to violence and harm, and being in relationships with them is exhausting. And she also says that many women's default is not to trust men. And I read that and I was thinking about a few months ago, I asked this question. I, I, a few months ago, I asked this question to my audience, which is mostly women, but I asked this question to my audience on social media. I said, what would you do if you had 24 hours without men? It was hundreds, if not a thousand responses on each of my platforms. But the common theme through all the responses was I wouldn't live in fear. I mean, I know my personal answer was when I lived in New York, I wouldn't have worn flip-flops or tennis shoes to walk to the train. And I wouldn't always just put my headphones on to walk from the train to my house. After dark, I would go running in the park after dark. I would ride my bike in the park after dark. And most of the answers that women gave were about the same. Like so much of women's lives is about protecting themselves from men. And so thinking of her essay, I also thought about this video that's been circulating of a woman in Harlem. She went to a liquor store. There were there were three guys. They were hitting on her, harassing her, really. Um, but she rebuffed their advances and they surrounded her when she got outside and beat the shit out of her. It's all on video. I saw a news interview that she did. She had this gigantic, it's not a gash, an injury above her eye. And she was like, yeah, the guy tried to bite my eye out. And I was like, what? It's so sick and so disgusting. And what frightens me about that video, other than, you know, the obvious of seeing 
of seeing a woman attacked in that way. That woman could have been me at least 10 occasions in my life. There have been so many times where like a man has tried to speak to me and I've, I've tried to be cool about it and be like, no, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. And I really don't want to be bothered. You kind of get a sense of what guys you can kind of ignore and keep walking on and the kind of guys that like, you have to be like nice to, otherwise they're going to flip out. Oh, I got a man. I ain't got no man. Like you got to be like playing small so as to not like insult his ego so he doesn't go off after you. I remember I went to this house party. I didn't drive, so I wasn't 16. Oh, I knew who I was there with, so I was 14 at the time. But my friend who was also 14, it was a party for her older sister, who I think was two years older than us, and party at her house. Parents were home, so it wasn't, like, too crazy. But I danced with this guy, and, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And then I was upstairs later standing on the porch, and I was talking to another guy who I think was someone I just knew, someone who was, like, a friend. And the guy who I danced with got so upset But I had just met him. I didn't even remember his name. Like we just danced to a slow song, no less. It wasn't like I backed it up on him or anything. But he saw me talking to this guy and he got so mad and he started screaming. I like froze because nothing like that had ever happened to me before. I didn't know what to do. And his boys came and got him. And as as they were pulling him away, he spit at me. But he spit at me with the intention of spitting on me. His aim was just bad. That was just the the first time. I can't even go through all the incidences of the times men, random and familiar, have flipped out on me because, you know, their ego is damaged in some way. So I know that very easily I or any woman I know could have been that woman in that video, which is so harrowing. But I tell you that story to say I don't hate men, but I kind of feel this French lady on this essay Another day, we'll talk about exhaustion in relationships. I just don't feel like talking about it today. But, but managing men and their egos in relationships as a woman, it's a lot. But what she's saying about, like, you know, men are scary and threatening and prone to violence and harm. She goes on to cite the stats in her country about male violence against women, which sound about like America's. When you start talking about the stats for women who are are killed by their partners, especially when they're pregnant. Like one of the most dangerous times in a woman's life is when she's pregnant. And not just because of the the changes she's going through with her body and the baby, but for homicide. Domestic violence, you know, that can go both ways. But in 99% of domestic violence cases where a partner is killed, it's a man killing a woman. The stats for men who assault women, the stats for, the stats for men who rape women, are astronomical. I think the, the, the current stat for rape for American women is one in five, and that's just the women who report it. So I, I get where this lady's coming from with this perspective. Um, the title is very inflammatory. I'm talking about the essay I said I wasn't going to talk about. But the case that she makes to back up her statement um, seems pretty sound so far. I've ordered a copy of the essay. Um, again, it was, it was originally printed in France, And she teamed up with a publisher and the intent was, as a blogger, she just wanted to sell like 450 copies of the book. The book blows up when advisor for France's Ministry of Gender Equality gets wind of the essay, which he did not read. He sends an email to the author's publishing house, essentially telling them to cease and desist publication and distribution. They leaked the email. Everybody wants to know, like, what is this guy so mad about? And then the book starts selling like crazy. The New York Times just did a story on it 
a couple weeks ago, which is how it landed on my radar. But the book is now widely published in France, and it's going to be published in 16 different languages, including English. So this woman, this 25-year-old, is about to have an international bestseller. I still want to talk about that in a little more detail. I think I'll have some guests come on and talk about that with me. I think I want to have some guests come on and talk about that with me. So that is today's episode of Ratchet and Respectable. There's still merch on the website, mostly smalls and extra smalls. I think we still have mediums in the V-necks. But if you would like black, ratchet, and respectable merch, now is the time to get it. Like I think there might be three to five of each thing left. So if you would like a, a tee or a V-neck or a hoodie or a sweatshirt and you are an extra small to medium girl, please snatch it up. Also, Don't Waste Your Pretty Merchandise is coming. I don't know how all this stuff is going to fit in the loft like literally we had boxes stacked from floor to ceiling for the ratchet and respectable drop and there's way more don't waste your pretty stuff ratchet and respectable is two years old don't waste your pretty is seven (laughs) associate and there's now a film associated with the book and the brand i have no idea where we're gonna put all this stuff it actually comes in tonight so So it will be on sale very, very, very soon. Please follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas for updates on the drop. Uh, Just like last time, I will do it after work hours on the East Coast to give everyone a chance to, to log in and get their merch. It tends to go pretty fast. Just a heads up. I got more this time. So hopefully we can keep it in stock at least for more than a couple hours. So that's everything. Thank you as always for listening to Ratchet and Respectable and we will speak again on Friday. Okay, talk soon. Bye.